Well, we have been talking about dealing with the trauma of life, and in this compassionate care for the soul focus, our our hope is that we'll be able to take what we find in Scripture and help us find healing for any traumatic effects we've gone through, any abuse or suffering from accidents like Austin has just gone through, but also how God can prepare us to help others because we know that there are a lot of folks out there that are hurting, they're suffering, they're um, dealing with the the loss of jobs or divorce or uh, disconnections, uh, families have been kind of separated from one another in some ways, and we're, I know we're making some uh, strides back to normalcy, but we'll still be dealing with the uh, underlying effects of trauma for some time. So that's why in the church it's important for us to be prepared and be aware of the kind of things that we should look for in people that we know and in ourselves so that we can stay on top of that. So today, um, we carry on with our compassion, care for the soul. Remember, we've talked about how Christ is the man of sorrows, the good phys- or the great physician. Uh, he went through all that he went through and is uniquely qualified to help us go through what we're going through because there's both recognized and unrecognized trauma. There's the recognized trauma we see in the world, and then there's the unrecognized trauma that is fundamental, that is caused by Satan because of evil. And so we have to address it from that particular standpoint. And today, as we talk about the traumatic effects, I'm going to focus on two primary things that uh, trauma creates in uh, the, its victims. And this comes from, I would have never thought this, but as I've been studying from Diane Langberg, in her 40 years of experience, this is what she has pointed out. The trauma has a tendency to create shame or grief in its victims. A lot of the shame is created by uh, those who are abused or there's been some effort to bully them or hurt them in some way. And then for some reason, the person who's the victim feels shame. And then there's the grief aspect of when you are uh, part of something you have no control over, some kind of accident or natural disaster or a disease or things like that. You grieve. And today, in a, in a very uh, easy way of thinking about it, we're going to discover how God can transform that shame and grief into something that is good for us. And today we're going to t- focus on it into transforming it into purpose and praise. But we have to ask the question, why is there so much suffering in the world? You say, well, I'm not contributing to the suffering of others. And uh, in a in a bigger sense, uh, in a in conceptual sense, if we sin at all, then we are contributing. But in a very specific sense, you may not be hurting someone else, but you know someone else who is suffering. And we have to ask ourselves, uh, why is there so much suffering in the world? And Viktor Frankl is... Um, a writer who um, has spent his life trying to address this particular question. And he said that suffering completely fills the human soul and conscious mind, no matter whether the suffering is great or it is little. 
So the reality about suffering is that um, whether our suffering is equal to or lesser than the suffering of others, it's still our suffering and it fills our souls and minds. He uses the illustration of gas in a chamber. And when you put gas into a chamber, it equally distributes into the chamber. But the more gas you put into the chamber, the more pressure is created in that chamber. Some, some of us may not be feeling a great deal of pressure from our suffering, but we're still suffering. We may wake up and be uh, not able to get back to sleep because our mind is filled with worry. Uh, we may not be able to even eat or we're overeating or um, we're feeling distant from people or we're finding ourselves uh, distracted by things that we were never distracted by before. All of these things suggest to us that we're trying to medicate or deal with the suffering that we feel. It's inside the chamber of our, as he says, our conscious mind and our soul. And it is our suffering. It may not be as great as the suffering of someone else that we know, but it's still ours. And that creates that sense of shame and grief because we feel ashamed that we are suffering, we don't know why, we should just get over it, right? And then we feel grief because there are other people who are going through greater suffering than us, and so we, we just feel bad about that. As I mentioned, when Diane Langberg addressed this particular issue, she, she suggested, and she writes from the standpoint of a Christian, but she suggests that you have to look at it from the standpoint of psychopathology, which means you break down the whole aspect of trauma from the suffering uh, that's caused by the disease or by the, by the uh, pathology of the event. She says, sometimes you need to break down what has happened to you to understand why you're suffering and why you, are, you have the effects of that suffering in your life. That's the recognized effects. I think I have the chart up there. Go ahead and put that chart up, uh, Alan. Uh, you can see some of the things. This is not her chart, but it's one that uh, she refers to. Some of the specific types of things that people suffer with. And you might identify with one or two or three or four, or all of these. If you identify with all of these today, see me after church, will you? But if you are going through these types of things, what she suggests is that we have to break this down and understand why we feel suffering this way. We have to... Look at the pathology of the disease that's created it. And then there's the immediate and delayed reaction things that can happen. And there's a, another chart that I was looking at this week that breaks down the immediate and delayed things that can happen both emotionally and physically, cognitively, even spiritually. But we also have to look at our trauma from a spiritual standpoint, the spirituality of trauma. And that's why just a few weeks ago we talked about Jesus as the great physician man of sorrows. Remember why he suffered. He suffered so that he would be uniquely qualified to, to reveal to us why we suffer. Now remember, Jesus didn't have to suffer. He emptied himself. And he came to this world, he came from perfection where there is no suffering, and he uh, allowed himself to be put into a body and into a situation where he knew he was going to be abused. 
They abused him physically, emotionally, mentally. They were always after him, always against him. And then uh, in the end of his life, they were able to railroad him and uh, crucify him on a cross. And the Bible teaches us that he went through all of this so that we would not give up hope and lose heart. Now, how does he do that? Well, that's where the spirituality of trauma helps us with the unrecognized effects, is that when we look at all these things that are the physical and emotional effects of trauma, we also realize that there's evil and there's sin and there's disobedience and there's rebellion and there's all those things that are out there in this world too. And those are the things that Jesus came to help us address, which allow us to deal with these things uh, in the long term. But the good news is this. As God's children, we can always, and I say always, reframe any harm intended for us at the hands of others or brought on by disasters because we are God's children. Now, if you want to follow along in the bulletin, you have the, the, um, you know, the things I'm talking about today are there. The verses are there as well. Genesis 50 verse 20 is a verse you need to memorize. Because this is the story of Joseph whenever his brother sold him into slavery after abusing him physically. They just wanted to be done with him because they were jealous of him. So you know the story of Joseph. He goes, he's uh, taken to Egypt and he's put in prison and then he becomes, uh, rises to be second of importance in all of the land of Egypt, which is the most powerful nation at that particular time. So then his brothers come begging for food. They don't know it's him. And then he reveals himself to them, and they say, why? And he says, don't worry. And this, this is when he quoted, he said, you intended to harm me. He's saying this to his brothers who abused him. You intended to harm me. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So on a fundamental basis, when we think about our trauma and the effects of it that come through shame and grief, we need to remember that even though the world or the devil might intend to harm us through our experiences, God intends it for good. Now, you go, I don't understand, God. Why don't you just give me the strength or change the circumstances so that I don't have to go through that? And it's because of sin. That's where fundamentally the reason Jesus came is important. He had to deal with sin on an eternal uh, scale. So he died on the cross so that we could find forgiveness of sins. We could repent. We could change our lives around. And we could live for the spirit instead of for the flesh. So when we're dealing with this and we say, God, why did you intend? Why uh, did you allow this to happen to me? You just have to remember that even though it was meant to harm you, God is using it to accomplish what he needs accomplished through you, and that is to save the many lives of those who are around you. And I know you might be saying, I didn't volunteer for this, but you better might as well just get, along, get on with the program and join the program because this is the way things work. The only way we can reframe our suffering caused by trauma is to understand that trauma is the product of injustice and that God hates it. 
and that he responds to it every time we see it in Scripture. Now, you might think, well, God doesn't care about my suffering. He doesn't care what I'm going through. But all you have to do is read Scripture, and every story in Scripture, you see how God responded to evil by conquering it with good. Every time. And in the ultimate sense, that's why he sent Jesus to die on the cross for us, so that we could conquer that fear and frustration, the faithfulness that we'll talk about here in the next few weeks. But God hates injustice. He hates evil. He hates it when bad people do things to good people, to innocent people. What's our response to that? Well, our response is to realize, again, God intends for good to be accomplished through what's been done, even if it's bad that's been done to you. Because you're able to reframe whatever has happened and you can say God has given me a purpose and there's a reason for praise in this. And when you change your mind and you reform and reframe, refocus in that way, God can then use you and you can overcome. And isn't that better than just kind of miring in the misery of your trauma and your suffering? In this story in, um, or David, when he was talking about this issue in Psalm chapter 10, um, he shares some things about how he starts off by saying, why, Lord, are, do you stand so far off? Have you ever felt that way? Lord, why aren't you close by? I mean, you promised that you would be with me always, and yet you seem so distant. And, and he explains why he feels this way. It's because... Someone was evil in his life. A wicked man was trying to hunt him down. And he was caught in the schemes of this evil person. And he goes on to talk about how this evil person seems to be getting away with it. And he says to himself, the evil person, God will never notice. He covers his face and never sees the evil I do. But. Here's what we need to remember. And then here's how David concludes it. I'm not sure which verse, but he says, Arise, Lord. Find it. Arise, Lord. Lift up your hand, O God. Do not forget the helpless. Why does the wicked man revile God? Why does he say to himself, he won't call me to account? But you, God, see the trouble of the afflicted. You consider their grief and take it in hand. The victims commit themselves to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked man. Call the evildoer to account for his wickedness that would not otherwise be found out. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations will perish from his land. You, Lord, hear the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them and you listen to their cry, defending the fatherless and the oppressed so that mere earthly mortals will never again strike in terror. Now, a couple of things I want to just bring out there. First of all, you are the helper of the fatherless. We've been talking all along here about help and healing. God helps us through his wisdom. He heals us through the personal touch of his son, Christ Jesus, that personal relationship we have with him. He is the helper. He's also the encourager. He says, don't give up because I see what the wicked are doing. I will hold them accountable 
but don't allow their wickedness to destroy you. So rise up. We say arise, Lord, lift up your hand. God is with us. He is not going to forget us. And like David did, he moved forward in his life every time he failed or something horrible happened, and um, he was victorious. The Bible says that he was close to the heart of God. So how does God respond when we are going through our suffering, when we are dealing with the traumatic effects of life? Well, he helps us reframe, first of all. He helps us. He's our helper. He says, listen, instead of seeing it this way where you are the victim, I want you to look at it from a different standpoint. I want you to look at it from the standpoint of the victor. All these other people that seem to be the victors, they're going to they're gonna be judged and held accountable for what they've done that is wrong. You, however, if you realize that I'm with you and I'm here to help you, you can live victoriously. You cannot give them the, you will not give them the satisfaction of not only abusing you or hurting you or holding you down. You will not give them that satisfaction of destroying you. You will rise up and you will, they will see in you, in your life, the glory of God and the power of God and the purpose of God. And hopefully they will themselves turn from their wickedness. So let me ask this of you. If you know God intends what other people mean to harm us, are you willing to save the life of the one who did the harming? And that's where we must start. We must look in our mind's eye at whatever evil or horrible thing someone has done to us or natural disaster we've been through or help people we know that have gone through things. We have to help them look at their, uh, the one who's hurt them and be willing to save them by transforming themselves, reframing and refocusing what they've gone through for good. That's what God calls us to do. He helps us turn suffering into glory instead of shame. He reframes the disgrace that others want us to fill into his glory. Victims of unjust abuse often struggle with shame because they feel soiled and spoiled. But through Christ, we can reframe our disgrace into glory. He helps us reframe the shame. And he does that by helping us understand that there's a glorious purpose that he has intended for us, even though the devil wants to harm us through what we've been through. And here's the thing that the classic and it's not vengeance because vengeance belongs to the Lord. But here's the classic justice that's done in this world. It's that when people who are victims overcome through Christ and turn around and help those who were the victimizers. That's what God sees as saving the lives of many. But we can only do that if we re reframe the disgrace that people have put upon us into glory. When we say the word shame, it means, biblically, the, the word in the Greek means to, to push down your face into disgrace. You know, what they want to do is they want you not to be able to look up. 
So they push your head down and hold you down so that you won't even look up at them. You'll be so ashamed of what's going on. And they do that forcefully. And God wants us to reframe any effort to make us feel disgrace in the glory. And we do that by following what it says in Romans chapter 5, verse 1 through 4. And I think I have the verses printed for you there. It says, therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You have to realize that when someone abuses you and you cry out to the Lord and he fills you with his love and his Holy Spirit, you're the victor, not the victim anymore. Hope does not put us to shame God will never allow us to live in disgrace if we understand that we can take glory in our sufferings because we know what it's producing in us. And ultimately, it's producing in us the hope that God is going to prevail and he will be victorious. So we can lift up our heads full of the love that's been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And we can live according to the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. And we should never be ashamed, never lower our eyes, never lower our head, never bend the knee to anyone who tries to bully us or abuse us. And we can do that because we know that God turns our suffering into glory instead of shame. You may not be familiar with Elie Wiesel. Uh, he was in the in he was in the Holocaust at one of the camps, and you can read his story. The amazing thing about him is that I think I read that he was 15 when he first went in, and he observed so many atrocities. I mean, things that we don't even want to think about, and hopefully we won't ever have to. But he witnessed all these atrocities, and along with others. Uh, he was able to survive even though millions of his uh, Jewish family uh, were, were killed in these camps. He wrote, We didn't write for any accepted purpose except for the extraordinary purpose of saving mankind. And he said that in the context of this is what we witnessed, this is what we need to share. We're not writing for any accepted purpose except for the extraordinary purpose of saving mankind. He didn't want attention. He didn't want to. He didn't want others to um, to be angry or have vengeance against those who perpetuated these things upon him. He wanted to do this for the extraordinary purpose of saving mankind. What the devil intended for to harm him, God intended for it to be turned around and intended it to save others. He got it. He exchanged the humiliation that he was going through for the purpose that God had for him. 
And if you're going through something bad, if you're suffering, if you've got any of those symptoms or traumatic effects that you're dealing with, you may need to ask for some help from someone who can help you with those recognized things, counselor or someone professional, someone worse than that. But you start by realizing the unrecognized issue is that the shame that you feel is not the blame of the person who has hurt you. They're just part of a cycle of shame. Your victory comes when you say to the devil, you get behind me, I'm tired of living in disgrace. I'm going to lift my head and I'm going to live in the glory that God has intended for me by fulfilling my purpose to save other people with the good news of Jesus. The second easy thing we can remember is that God encourages us to turn suffering into genuineness. Now, this is important. He turns genuineness instead of us turning into grief. He allows us to refocus the distress that we feel into becoming the genuine, strong believers that he's called us to be. The scripture is full of this encouragement. Because victims of unjust abuse often grieve because they feel ruined and rotten. But through Christ, we can refocus our distress into genuineness. If you talk to someone who's been through a natural disaster, like a hurricane or a tornado, it's hard for them if they don't have Christ or they don't have the, the, the ability to put their hope in God's provision to ever feel safe again. If you've ever been through a storm and there are people uh, not far from here that suffered from the tornadoes that went through Memorial Day a year or so ago, anytime a storm brews, you got to just know that they're starting to sweat a little bit. Because they're grieving the loss of all that they had worked for before, and then here it comes again. Is it going to happen again? Do I have to grieve through this again? It just ruins everything in life. They just can't enjoy it anymore because they think life is just rotten. There's nothing good that ever happens. And that God's just like a tease, and he lets us build up all these wonderful good things and just in a night destroy them all with flood or wind or disaster. The only way we can turn that kind of suffering into genuineness is to realize that God can help us no matter what we go through in life to be stronger as we come out on the other side. We can only do that if we refocus our distress into uh, seeing what God is doing through us as building us up. This concept comes from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3-9. through 9. It says, Praise to be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Did you hear that? Those things here on earth might go, uh, they might perish, spoil, or fade. What you have in heaven never will. So this inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. We just have to wait for that. And in all this, you greatly rejoice. Here's why. Though now you for a little while may 
have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now, there's a lot that we could unpack here, but there's one thing I want you to, to, to just let it jump out at you, and that is that all of these things happen, the suffering you go through, to prove you genuine in your faith in God, and it results in praise. Praise from others, but also praise of God because people look at you and say, man, only God can do this. Praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Now, I don't know about you, but that's what I'd like to be the thing when, when he returns. I picture it this way. The, as the scripture says, the clouds will peel back. And here comes Jesus. And we will be ready. We'll be looking up. We say, Come get me. I'm ready. But neighbors and friends, they're going to be terrified. And they're going to be looking, and they may see us standing there ready to go. And they go, boy, they had it right. They had it right. God wants to bless us by allowing us to exchange the heartache of life for praise. And we will suffer grief in all kinds of trials. And if we refocus why we have those trials... Is so that we can bring praise and glory and honor to our Heavenly Father by overcoming them, then we're filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. And we're ready for Jesus to come. Elizabeth Smart, I mentioned her last week. She was this little girl, 14 years old. She was taken from her home, held captive for months. She said... And this is a quote. I never thought I would say that I'm grateful for what happened to me as a 14-year-old girl. But I can honestly say that I'm not sorry it happened to me because of what it allowed me to do. The people I've been able to meet and the cause that has become and driven such a large part of my life. Now this little girl, she was taken from her home, abused in ugly ways, away from her family. They tried to brainwash her, tried to to transform her. And she says, I can only say that I'm not sorry it happened because of what it's allowed me to do, which is to be an advocate for those who've been abused and help them. She's taken what was intended to harm her She's transformed it into saving many lives with this perspective of healing and help. And as a result, she has been praised for her poise and perspective through this all. And she gives the glory to God. Now you say, yeah, but Mike, you know she's a Mormon and I'm, don't bother with that. If you're giving glory to God, we'll let him sort all those things out. But there are examples of many believers who take what has been meant to hurt them and suffered through that grief, and it's proved them genuine in their faith. And here's the thing about that. 
As you have faith in God, that means that you're not putting your faith in people. You're putting your faith in the one who loves us and sent his son for us. And you realize that people are failed and frail and sometimes they hurt. And God puts us in every situation that we go through so that what is meant to harm us, we can reframe and refocus for glory and genuineness so that we can help other people in our lives. Be good Samaritan trauma team members. Now, the obvious traumatic effects of injustice that create disgrace and distress in our souls and minds can destroy us, or we can choose to reframe our shame into glory and refocus our grief into genuineness because we know that what others intended to harm, God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. That's why I say we can't leave our trauma just in us. We have to find healing for it, and we can do whatever we need to do to help you with that. If you're suffering and you have complex trauma in your life and you're filled with shame and grief still and you're finding some of the symptoms that you we saw up here on the... And I think I put this little thing on the bulletin too so you can look at it. If you're suffering with any of those things, reach out, talk to someone. You can talk to me and text me or call me or we have our little note things you can cut out or you can tear out of the bulletin. And let me know that you want me to contact you. Give me a number. I'll holler at you. We can have a conversation. We get you healed. But we need to remember, we need to go through this because we are living, as Diane Langberg says, in a time when trauma might be the most important ministry opportunity of the church for centuries. We just want to be ready. Because the dangerous thing about trauma is it can become generational. So if nothing else, it could be time to break the generational cycle by reframing and refocusing the evil done to you to save the many that come after you and your family, for your children grandchildren. And the good news is God is good. And even though the devil might intend to harm us through the things that cause us to suffer, God's ready to turn that around in our lives so that we can... Use that through genuineness and glory to help other people. And really, that's what touch point ministry is all about. And I'm going to keep talking about this because the most important thing about our lives is to be that touch point for those that we know, for Christ and for the church, to be that point of contact where they can receive help and healing. Because the the reality is that people have gotten to the point where coming into a church building on Sunday is the 10th thing on their list to do. There's so many other things, and I'm surprised that we're 10th, but it doesn't look like, based upon the statistics, that people are rushing to get back into the church after the COVID sent everybody kind of scattering away. So we need to be that touch point. And so uh, however many of you are here this morning, I want to I want to ordain you into the ministry of touch point. There's someone you know who is suffering right now. And you can take the things that you've learned here today and you can encourage you can encourage them take those verses just take this bulletin home. You can read these verses to them and then you can talk to them 
Don't preach at them. Just have a conversation with them. So, you know, you mentioned to me the other day you haven't been sleeping very well. We were just kind of talking about this at church. Are you feeling any kind of shame? Are you grieving? And you have that conversation with someone and then you become that point of, of ministry to the people around you in the world and say, you know, we've been, we're talking about this. Sunday, we're going to be talking about fear. Come here. Pastor Mike, talk about fear. And then we're going to talk about frustration and faithfulness. We're going to be going through these things. And come, you know, come here. Come be a part of that. Because God intends to use your suffering as he reframes it and refocuses it to do good to others. You all right with that? Will you let God bless you through that?